I shall speak on the subject, the wrong king, and we'll find our text in Matthew chapter 21, just these brief words of verse 9, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. When our Savior entered Jerusalem on this Palm Sunday, he was confronted with the question that came from the inhabitants who said, Who is this? Who is this? They didn't recognize him and they didn't anticipate that this kind of a procession had anything that you might call royalty attached to it. Who is this? He came on a little colt. He had a company of admirers that were waving palms. They put their blankets and their coats down for the colt to walk over. Rather disorganized procession, but here it was shouting and crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, and they came through the gate and into the city and made their way up into the center to the temple. And he uh, dismounted from the colt and went inside of the temple and saw the selling of the doves and the pigeons and the money changers. And he took a little cord in his hand and he went around and he turned over the tables and drove out the doves and says, you get out of here, this is my house. He didn't look very much like a king. Who is this? He didn't come in then the royalty of his Caesars. He didn't even have the robes that David used to wear. Here he came. Who is this? Well, it was aware that they might be interested in accepting some sort of a king if he brought them something that could be of help to them. But he came to overthrow the way they were doing things in the temple. And of course, there was a time when they took him and wanted to make him king right after he fed the 5,000. Why, anybody that could multiply bread and multiply fishes, and after he fed the 5,000, he had to flee from them. They went around and found him on the other side of the Sea of Capernaum, and they would have taken him and made him a king. Any king that can multiply bread and feed the multitudes like this ought to be someplace in authority where he can take care of our needs and our economic problems. And undoubtedly they would have been willing to recognize some sort of a king if he'd come in challenging Caesar's dominion and going to feed them freely and take care of all their material and physical wants in such a nice way. But they weren't looking for this kind of a king. He was the wrong kind of a king so far as they were concerned. But he's not the wrong kind of a king so far as the Bible's concerned. He's not the wrong kind of a king so far as the church is concerned. And he's not the wrong kind of a king so far as you and I are concerned. But he was to them. But to us and to the redeemed of the Lord of every age, he is indeed the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when Pilate said unto him, Art thou a king? And he says, Yes, I am. To this end was I born. And for this purpose came I into the world. 
He came to be indeed the king of the Jews. And this was the superscription that was put over his cross in three different languages. The king of the Jews. Now when we come to Easter time and we think of the cross and I've just mentioned my message on the 22nd Psalm. You think of all the convergence of the prophecies, of all the coming together of the purposes of God. And we see in that cross, we see in that resurrection, we see in that the glorious fulfillment of an eternal plan of an everlasting purpose in Jesus Christ. I'm not so sure that we often think of that in relationship to Palm Sunday. It's the parade, it's the cries, it's the hosannas, the rejoicing. And we don't often stop and just look at the convergence of prophecy, fulfilling specifically and precisely what the Lord said would come to pass. But it's there, as a matter of fact, it's, it's the prominent thing that stands out because you have here uh, Zechariah and you have here Jeremiah and you have here Isaiah and you have here David and you have the Lord Jesus Christ gathering up out of the Old Testament all these threads and all these pointers that direct our attention right specifically to his own conduct and to his own actions here as he comes into this city. And I've taken the text, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. That's uh, a quotation from the 118th Psalm. One of the great messianic psalms that, that David gave unto the church. And there we have that reference, the, the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. And as you read that 118th Psalm, you come down to that 26th verse, and here you have these words, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And here was the crowd, here was the multitude, here, here were those who admired, here were those who believed in him, and they were saying, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. He was a king who came in the name of the Lord. Didn't come in his own name. And when you see this emphasis upon blessed is he, blessed is this one, our blessings are upon Christ. We're going to see this tremendous exaltation upon Christ. And let's take this 21st chapter of the gospel according to Matthew as it's outlined for us here. And let's see this blessings on the name of the Lord. Blessings on the name of the Lord. And I have at least five of them to lay before you today. First, he was the Lord of the prophets. He was the Lord of the prophets. Right here in this incident, in this event, as he gathers his forces and selects his colt, as he starts his march into Jerusalem, he himself is deliberately, precisely, fulfilling exactly what he had given to the prophets in predicting this event on this day. He's the Lord of the prophets. 
Take your Bible in hand, if you will, please, and let's just notice how this stands out. And in the fourth verse of this 21st chapter of Matthew, and all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Now turn with me, please, to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And in this great prophecy, written some 480 or 500 years before Jesus Christ ever rode upon a colt, or ever came into Jerusalem for this triumphal recognition, we read, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt the foal of an ass. Beloved, at this point I always like to stop I do. I, I love to stop when I get into passages like this and just throw a few barbs at these liberals who make fun of us for being literalists. We are fundamentalists. And we believe that the Bible is literally being fulfilled. And here's a prophecy 500 years before the event in which it said that Jesus Christ would come into Jerusalem. He'd come riding upon a colt. He'd come with the colt, which was the foal of an ass. And, beloved, that was literally, literally, literally fulfilled. Without any question. And it is the precise fulfillment of these mighty prophecies which span the centuries, these great predictions which have no respect for time. They have no regard for centuries. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord of the prophets. And he spoke to the prophets. And the prophets told that these precise things would take place. Now, I am particularly interested in Zechariah because you have this reference to his coming into the city of Jerusalem in this great public recognition. But will you please turn over now to the latter part of the prophecy of Zechariah to the 14th chapter. And when you come to this 14th chapter, we again behold the day of the Lord cometh. That's verse number 1. And then shall the Lord go forth, verse 3, and fight against those nations as he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem. Now, beloved, our Savior is the Lord of the prophets. And here's the prophet who says he'll come into Jerusalem riding upon a colt. And that took place on Palm Sunday. Now, in the same prophecy, by the same person, he describes for us the end time when the Lord shall come in glory and he shall fight against the enemies of his people as he fought in the day of battle. And when he comes in that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives, which is just before Jerusalem to the east. 
And I have no hesitancy in telling you people from this sacred pulpit today with this blessed book in my hand that when Jesus Christ comes in his great apocalypse, in his unveiling, when all the hosts of heaven are gathered about him and he descends again to this old earth where he lived and died and was crucified and was raised from the dead, his, his feet will touch in that day and stand on the same spot from which he last stood when he took leave of this earth. When we come to this entrance into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and we have a colt and he's riding on it amidst the cries that we are told would go from the people, we reach forward now to where he comes, not to Jerusalem as the one that's riding upon a colt in all of his lowliness, but to that day when he'll ride in the chariots of heaven and he shall come with power and great glory and he shall come as the king of the kings and as the lord of the lords and he shall come to tread the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of almighty God. And on this Palm Sunday, Jesus Christ comes as the Lord of the prophets. Turn back now, if you will, please, to Matthew 21. And we come down to verse, 20, verse 13 and 14, and we read, And he said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And at that point, Jesus Christ reaches back into the Old Testament and he first turns to Isaiah and quotes from him and he next turns to Jeremiah and he quotes from him. And he ties Isaiah and Jeremiah together in reference to the temple into which he had now come and which he was proceeding to cleanse and to clean up. Turn in your Bibles, please, to the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 56, verse 7. When you get over into this Old Testament where our Savior is leading us, we find this literalist literalism that we don't like today, at least the liberals don't, but we do. Verse 7, Even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar for mine house shall be called an house of prayer for all people. 700 years before Jesus walked into the temple to clean it. 700 years before Jesus arrived, Jesus finds a text given to the lips of the prophet Isaiah. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Now turn please to the prophecy of Jeremiah. And in the 7th chapter of Jeremiah and the 11th verse is this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes 
Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. And here comes the Lord Jesus Christ into his own house. I have seen it. I've come here to rebuke it. I've come here to cleanse it up. I have come in fulfillment of what Jeremiah said would take place. And Jesus Christ walked into the presence where the thieves were carrying on their robberies. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, Isaiah said my house would be a house of prayer. And Jeremiah said you'd make it a den of thieves. And here I am now on Palm Sunday and I've come into the house of my God. And here I am, the Lord of the prophets. The Lord of the prophets. In the second place, I think we should add this additional thought because it's clearly here and it's so important for us today. Jesus Christ is the Lord of the Scriptures. Oh yeah, the prophet spoke, but let's get down to the writing. Let's get down to the writing. And if you'll turn to this 21st chapter and notice verse 16, we read, And said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus said, Yea, have ye never heard? Have ye never read? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength. Have ye never read? It's been written. It's down in black and white. Will you turn, please, to Psalm number 8. The 8th Psalm, and it begins like this. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who hast set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength. Beloved, Jesus Christ goes back to the Scriptures and he quotes verbatim the prophecy of David referring to him in the 8th Psalm. As a matter of fact, we would not know that this specific reference to the babes and the sucklings applied to Palm Sunday if Jesus hadn't put the two together for us. But Jesus Christ took the written word, have ye never read it? Jesus wants you and me to read all about him in the Old Testament because he's in it all. And have ye never read in the 8th Psalm, the Lord is coming, here he is in his glory. How excellent is his name and all the earth is to be exalted. And it's out of the mouths of these babes and sucklings on Palm Sunday when they cried, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Jesus said, Don't stop these children from crying. They're fulfilling the prophecy that God gave to David concerning me. I've just quoted to you that reference from Isaiah where our Savior says it is written. Uh, it is written. The inspiration. It is written. When Jesus met the devil on the Mount of Temptation, he said, It is written. And he quoted Moses. And he said again, It is written. And he quoted Moses. And he said again, It is written. And he quoted Moses. Jesus appealed to the written word. He appealed to the divine inspiration of the Scripture as these passages related to him. And oh, what a beautiful picture on this Palm Sunday when he comes into Jerusalem and all the Scriptures are behind him. 
All the writings have been placed there through the centuries that they might point to this very day when he would come and offer himself as the king to be rejected. When he would come into the city in the midst of the hosannas and the cries and he would say even the little babes and sucklings are crying out, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And God Almighty put on the lips of the little babes over here who were crying out the inspired words that he gave to David a thousand years before. Oh yes, it's 500 years for Zechariah, 700 years for Isaiah. It's a thousand years for David, but years and time and centuries mean nothing when you're dealing with the purposes of God as they converge upon the entrance of our Savior into Jerusalem and upon the completion of the work for which he had been appointed to do, to redeem Israel, to die for his sheep, to be the deliverer of his elect. All right, now let's notice the third point. First, he's the Lord of the prophets. Second, he's the Lord of the scripture. And third, he's the Lord of nature. He said to his disciples, well, you just go into the city here. You go to a certain man's house. When you get there, there's going to be a colt. And you tell that man that you want to take that colt over here to use him. That Jesus over here wants to ride on him. And uh, he says, when he asks you about it, he says, the Lord has need of him. The Lord has need of him. The man says, all right, take him, take him. And so here comes this colt on which no man had ever ridden before. And they lead him over here just as gently and meekly as can be. And Jesus Christ mounts him, and there's no troubles of any kind, no reactions of any kind. And the Lord of creation, the Lord of nature, this is the Lord who said way back there to Zechariah, that I'll offer the king, but when he comes, he's going to come on a lowly coat. No one's ever ridden on this coat before. He'll be new, he'll be fresh. And he'll come in the midst of the hosannas of the people. Beloved, for his relationship to that colt was identically the same when he stood on the water of the waves and said, Peace be still, and they stopped. What manner of man is this? that even the winds and the waves obey his will. And this is the same man who, when coming out of the city and going back into the city the next day, came to that fig tree, and everybody's wondered why he cursed that fig tree. This has been a big problem to the liberals, but it's never been a problem to us. It was an unfruitful tree that wasn't producing anything, and Jesus asked his disciples to get something, and there wasn't anything there, so he cursed the thing and said it would never be useful again, and when they came back, the thing had withered up. He has power over all creation and over all nature to do with it as he pleases. It is in his keeping and it is in his honor. 
I might tell you people that some, some months ago I was in New York City to see J.B. Matthews. And uh, right near, right within a few hundred feet of where Dr. Matthews' great apartment is, you have this magnificent museum, the Museum of Natural History in New York, together with the great collections of uh, Teddy Roosevelt. So Ms. McIntyre and I just said we'll go in here and take a look. And I saw something that I didn't even know existed in my country and made such an impression on me that I said, I'm going to tell others about this and I'm going to come back sometime and see it. Take a little more time. So yesterday I went to New York with some guests of ours and we went around we went into that museum. I'd like to recommend that everybody go up there and pay that place a visit. I've never seen anything like it. It's an immense thing, covers a great expanse of building properties there. But you go in, and here you have Teddy Roosevelt's collections, together with a great many others. But you move into the great area where you have Africa, and then they have another whole section for the uh, United States, and they have all sections of the world there, beautifully arranged. But you go in, and we were especially interested in the African, because we've been there. You go in, and here they have a... Uh, a very large uh, group of elephants, real elephants, except they're dead. <laughs> real elephants, but they're all stuffed up. But they're immense thing, and their ears, and their tusks, and their feet, and everything. And then around the side, they have reproductions of the real thing, and then the artwork that blends into the scene behind, and there's some of those exhibits that you can't tell where the real thing stops and where the art begins. You just can't tell it. And they have all these natural uh, settings with the animals in their nat natural habitat, and some of them were just like I'd just seen them, the zebras and the giraffes and the lions that we'd seen in Africa, and the setting over there. And they even had it so realistic that some of these great big animals have these little birds sitting on them picking off the fleas or the bugs. But you studied that, and as you went around, you just said, oh, and ah, and then you went from Africa to North America and all the things we have, and they got some beautiful exhibits there of the old buffalo out in the west. And you get on down into these areas for some of the game that we've been familiar with. But there's one thing that comes to your mind as you go around and you look at it and you see you just flooded the color, the design, the difference. All the different varieties and the different species are there. There's only one thing that comes to your mind. How manifold are thy works, O Lord. In wisdom hast thou made them all. It makes no difference where you stop and you look at that animal and you see his design, you see his cut, you see his frame, you see his color. How the Lord arranged that in the northern climes you'd have the white, ship and the white sheep and the polar bears and how you'd get these different colors, how they blend into the landscape. You can't tell me that there's not a Lord of creation somewhere that put all these things together and so designed them. And of all his glorious works of creation, God Almighty made a little coat, a little coat. If you think the virgin birth, Virgin Mary was privileged to give birth to our Savior, and she was, 
highly favored among all women. But how about that little coat? How about that little coat? Being chosen, predicted, ordained that on his back would sit the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But all nature was made for his service. All creation was ordained for his glory. And when we come to this Palm Sunday and we think of Jesus Christ coming into the city of Jerusalem, rejected as he was by his own people, seeing him come into that great city amidst the cries and the hosannas of this company that followed him who believed in him and these children that cried out, Blessed is he in the name of the Lord. When you think of that, you must recognize that he rode upon that little colt with all the power of creation in his hand. He had the prophets in his hand. He had the scriptures in his hand. He had all nature in his hand. That's the king as he came to Jerusalem. In the third place, we must say he's not only Lord of the prophets and Lord of the scripture, <clears throat> and the Lord of all nature. Beloved, he's the Lord in his church. In his temple. You know, I think it's very interesting that in all this account, they didn't set up over here some sort of a throne for him to sit on. There's <laughs> no account of that. Why hadn't somebody gotten in some chairs over there, fixed him up a stage, and Put some bunting over. Why didn't somebody fix him up some sort of a platform on which he could go and sit there and let them come and bring their gifts and their trophies and lay them at his feet? He was the Lord. He was the king. He was, there's nothing like that in this story. That's all been left out. He didn't come to sit on some sort of a visible throne. He wasn't here for that purpose. He went into his own house. I don't need your platforms. I don't need your chairs. I don't need your thrones. I'm going into the temple. And when I get into that temple, I'm going to turn over the money changers. And I'm going to drive out these people who are selling doves. And I'm going to tell them that my throne, my house, my place is where you come and talk to God. It's a house of prayer. It's where you come and enter into communion and fellowship with the living God. And the only way you can get to that God and have that fellowship is through the one of whom they're praising. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And our trouble today, and it's the tragedy of the 20th century, that Jesus has been demoted again. He's no longer the head of his church. He's no longer the Lord in his temple. We brought in the world. 
We brought on everything that has to do with the world. And now the churches somehow are going to be used to, to become a great instrument of social change and social revolution and all these things were going out. And the church is telling your Lord, you just get out of here, Lord. We've got better business to do than that which you assigned to us. We know you told us to pray. We know you told us that your temple was to be where the ordinances of Moses and where the testimony of Israel was to be maintained. But we've got more important business down in Washington now. Oh, beloved, Jesus Christ said, My house shall be called an house of prayer. And the church of the living God, the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ, must be carried on in temples like this one, in which we come in a spirit of anticipation and expectancy, knowing that we will be blessed of God if we come to Him in prayer, and if we appeal to Him in the name of His Son. Blessed is He that cometh in the name of the Lord. And... Jesus Christ was the Lord of his temple on Palm Sunday. The Lord of the prophets, the Lord of scripture, the Lord of creation, the Lord of his temple on Palm Sunday. I can see it. I understand it. It's all here written in the book. But that's what he wanted the children of Israel and oh Zion thy king cometh unto thee here he is but you say to me pastor isn't this interesting that you've told me that he didn't have any kind of a throne he had a colt and they threw blankets and coats on the ground they walked over and they waved some palms and here he came sort of an impromptu sort of a demonstration as he came through the city and they were shouting they said who is this one who is this one but why is it that this is the shape in which it took form why is it that there wasn't more of a regal a more formal accent to this sort of a thing I'll tell you the answer. Before Jesus Christ could come in the glory of his Father, before he could come with the armies of heaven, before he could come with the trumpets of the archangels, before he could come with all the pomp that heaven itself will be able to arrange in that great day of final consummation, before anything like that could take place, he had to first go and die and shed his blood and taste of death and move into the tomb. And this was a demonstration that indicated whether man's hearts were right or not. This was a demonstration which indicated whether men would recognize him as Lord. Oh, the little babies did. They cried it out. And there were those that were in the company. They understood it. But when he got to the temple, they said, Who's this? Where did this come from? Where did he come from? Who is he? And then the crowd that was with him said, This is Jesus of Nazareth. This is Jesus of Nazareth. We brought him in here. We believe his claims. We believe what he said he would do. And we brought him into the temple. Oh, they said, who is this? Beloved, you're not going to take him into anybody's temple unless you believe about him what he wanted you to believe, that he's the son of the living God. 
You know, somehow or other I challenge or I question just a little bit the usual idea that's given by everybody about Palm Sunday. Somehow we've gotten the idea that on Palm Sunday everybody everywhere gathered in and the whole town turned over to welcome him. I don't think that's true. No, no, who is this fellow? Where did he come from when he arrived? Oh, those Sadducees and those Pharisees and the leaders of the Sanhedrin, they sat back there and they didn't encourage this demonstration or this march in any way, shape, or form. They hated him. They were out to lay their hands on him. And they were determined that somehow or other they were going to dispose of this renegade who challenged their authority and talked about Abraham. And they did it. And they did it. And this leads me now to the last point that I want to make, and it stands out in this passage so beautifully. On Palm Sunday, he was the Lord in the hearts of those that saw him and recognized him. Why did the man who owned the colt turn the little colt loose and say, let him go? He said, the Lord has need of it. If anybody came to your house and said to you, Mrs. So-and-so, uh, we'd like to use your automobile. Would you, we want your automobile. What do you want my automobile for? Well, Dr. McIntyre wants it. You'd say, well, let him go get somebody else's. I'm going to use mine. That's what you'd say. That's right. There was a man, he had a cold, and they came and said, Sir, he says, we want your cold. We want to use your cold. Well, I could say, what are you going to use? Well, i got a man up here on the hill who wants to ride on him. Well, don't put him on that colt. That colt's never had anybody on him. That colt hadn't even been trained. There's no, there's, nobody's having to do with that colt. I can't let you have him. Besides, if you get out of here, he might get frightened and scared, and he'd cause a riot somewhere. I can't let you take my colt. You've got to leave that colt here. I, he knows me, knows my voice, knows my ways. I can take care of that colt, but I can't turn him over to strangers. I'm not going to put my colt in the hand of any stranger. And they said, but the Lord hath need of him. And the man says, all right, he's not a stranger to me. He's not a stranger to me. Take him. Go ahead. In his hands, he'll be all right. I can trust him in the hands of Jesus. Take my colt. And he took him. The answer to that is that Jesus was Lord in the heart of the man who owned the colt. He was Lord there. Oh, these little ones that cried out, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. They'd heard the story. And you know, children, oh, God bless our little children. They're so honest and they're so frank and they're so plain and they're so direct. They can always say the wrong thing at the right time. They can always get things mixed up. But they always somehow or other ordain strength. They always somehow or other say the thing that gets into your conscience. They always somehow or other be able to come out with something. And God says they'll ordain strength. And these little ones had believed that he was the Messiah of Israel. These little ones that know heaven's going to be filled with them. These little ones had believed in their hearts that this one here was the Redeemer of Israel and here he was and they couldn't shout it loudly enough. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Let him reign. Let him come. This is he. Here he is. Let's honor him. Let's recognize him. Let's believe in him. 
And the little children had that kind of a faith. And except ye become as little children, ye shall in no wise enter into the kingdom. Let's have the faith of the child. Let's have the testimony of a child. And the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, I want your hearts. I want your hearts. And on Palm Sunday, Jesus Christ was the Lord in the hearts of his people. You know, I've often thought about this, man, that the Lord said, give me your coat. Give me your coat. What if the Lord had said to him, give me your house? He'd have gotten it. What if the Lord had said unto him, give me your life? Well, he already had that before he gave him his coat. And the Lord Jesus Christ on this Palm Sunday is coming to you, beloved. He hasn't asked you for your coat. Maybe you don't have one. But I tell you what he has asked you for. He's asked you for your heart. He wants to be Lord in your heart. He wants to have out of you and from you all of your love and all of your devotion. Seek ye first my kingdom, he says. I'll take care of these other things. I'll provide for these other things. And the world wants the wrong kind of a Jesus. Are you running with me, Jesus? No, I'm not running with this materialistic revolutionary crowd. Are you standing alongside of me today, Jesus? No, I'm not standing alongside of Adam Clayton Powell or some of the rest of these fellows that are carrying on their programs today. No, beloved! Jesus Christ comes first into the heart of man. Jesus Christ comes first to make you a new creature. Jesus Christ comes first to bind you to himself. And then when he binds you to himself, he has your life. He has you. He has your coats. He has everything you have. And that's Palm Sunday. Lord of the prophets, Lord of the writings, Lord of all nature, my Lord in his temple, and Lord in my heart. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank thee for this beautiful message of power that it is in the grace of God in the world is out looking for the wrong kind of a king. And we see these men who are seeking to use him now for their own social and political and revolutionary program. But Father, we want him in our hearts. We want him to come and reign and rule in our lives that he may indeed be our Lord and our King. For Christ's sake, amen.